Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. With us today is a good friend of mine from high school and middle school, I think, to go way back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is Seth Tomasi. Welcome, Seth. Hi, Seth. Hi. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm really excited. Yay. We are, too. <laughs> so um, where are you joining us from today? Uh, I'm now in uh, Independence, Missouri, right outside of the Kansas City area. Home of Harry S. Truman. Indeed, <laughs> Harry S. Truman. We have not done the museum yet. Uh, my kids are a little young for that. But uh, but imagine their excitement when they are old enough for the museum. Oh, They're yes. going to be just like, wow. <laughs> <sighs> my kids are good with museums. They like the Nelson. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure the Harry S. Truman Museum is going to yeah. be there. We're more Wonderscope and Science City kind of kids. So uh. No, that, that checks out. Well, while you're talking about your family, would you mind um, just kind of giving us the details of your childhood family growing up and then your family now? Just who's who? Okay. Uh, I'm pretty, I don't know, usual. I had a, the common nuclear family for two kids, two parents, never got divorced. My little sister is four years younger than me, so we were fortunate enough to not ever really be in school together, and I think that that was a blessing. <laughs> so now I have a wonderful wife and three beautiful children. I have a seven-year-old daughter, a four-year-old son, and a 20-month-old son. That's wonderful. Well, thank and you. And they're so cute. Oh, my goodness. I... You're the reason I like Facebook. A lot of other people are the reason I hate Facebook. But you're the reason. It's so nice to like keep in touch. And I feel like you and I do a pretty good job of not just liking each other's posts, but we have like lots of messages back and forth. And we've really like stayed in, in touch, which I love. I agree. Like <laughs> the Internet, it's probably the greatest double edged sword ever. But there are <laughs> it can be used for wonderful things like staying in touch with good friends. So. Yes, absolutely. Well, and then weirdly just asking them to be on your podcast. So <laughs> <laughs> speaking of which, though, the last thing we usually ask our guests right at the start is what their history with the show Parenthood is. Um, my wife watched this show religiously when it was on live every week. I mean, we had we had a DVR, so she didn't watch it live live. But every night she was watching the show and I was usually sitting on the other end of the show playing on my phone or reading a book. Uh, because this show is a cry-heavy show. It is. It, there are a lot of very emotional, especially at the time that this show was airing, my father-in-law had just been diagnosed with cancer. And oh. so it became a more cry-heavy show for her than maybe it usually would have been. Yeah. So I am familiar with this show. I love a lot of the people in this show. That being said, I have a thing where I connect actors with the character that maybe not they're known for, but that I know them for. Just so you know, Sarah is going to be Lorelai the entire show that we're talking about. <laughs> she's enough. always Lorelai in uh, yeah. everything she does. And my wife laughed for 20 minutes because I didn't know her name was Sarah. And I finally, I was like, why are you laughing so hard? And she's like, because her name's Sarah. My wife's name is also Sarah. So that, that <laughs> made it. It's like, no, she's Lorelai. That's, that's who she is. Yeah, that's fair. I will tell you right off, I am not a fan of the show. Ooh, we got one. <laughs> Caleb's been waiting for this. Right? <laughs> I, I struggle to separate my reality. To, 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 in order to enjoy a lot of shows and television, you have to be able to remove yourself from reality. 
And I can do that with the comedies and with things like that. Shows like this or that other show you like, the This Is Us. Oh, I do like This right. Is Us. Yeah. Right. But they're they're close enough to reality in a lot of ways that I struggle to separate my feelings about parental behavior and, and, and things like that from the show as a piece of art. Lorelai is not a good parent. Zero to jackass in 3.2 seconds. I keep saying I think she's a great parent, but I'm not a parent, so I don't know. (laughs) She struggles really hard to be her daughter's friend as a teenager. Mm. And I mean, again, personal opinions on parenting. I tell my kids all the time, when you're 21, we can be friends. I'm, (laughs) I'm your father until then, because I have to be, I can't be your buddy. I will always be your cheerleader and I will always be supportive, but I also have to be the guy who says no. Yeah. A lot of parents are guilty of trying to be their child's best friend. And I have seen that not work out very well for a lot of parents as their (laughs) children grow up. And so that's just a personal opinion. Also, how old is Max supposed to be in this episode that we watched? Julia, when she's talking about the age gaps between kids, she mentions six years. Yeah. So I think Hattie's 16. So he would be 10. Yeah. Max is nine or 10. We're supposed to believe. As a 10 year old autistic boy, his father still has unrealistic expectations for the way that his son should interact with him. And that, to me, says that he has nothing to do with his child. Uh, I mean, my mom taught special education for 35 years. Autism is not a sudden onset disease. You know what uh, I mean? It is, it is something that you have lived with your child for 10 years. And you are aware of how he is. You know, I know they have the touching moment in the car on the way home. But after 10 years, I feel like you would have found a way to better connect with your son or maybe you wouldn't force things like he tried. I mean, he just, he doesn't appear to be a parent who has had a child with, you know, autism for 10 years. And so that is, I don't care for his character, which is awful because I love him as an actor. He was great as Dan in Sports Night. I am his wife though. (laughs) So the blonde, oh, you're running for student council? That's wonderful. Let's do this and this. And what is your platform? And where is that? And those were all the questions that went through my head before she started asking them. And so I am absolutely his wife as far as that goes. Um, I will be the one who is, okay, I'm never going to push my children to do things, but if they're going to do things, they might as well be successful, right? (laughs) And so we'll see how it goes when middle school rolls around. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's perfect. Thank you. Like, I can't, I can't wait. I'm just, this is, this is amazing. I'm, I love that you're also willing to talk about it. Like, you're not just like, oh, I don't like it. You've got all of these great comments and you're relating to characters and so this is this is really good final thing on the what i feel about the show this is dak shepherd's best acting. oh my god right i believe that this was the best thing he's ever done in his career and he is my favorite character because despite not knowing about the child he wants to be a dad and he wants to be a good dad he really cares about the boy and that comes through so that okay that's my final overall piece on the show that's perfect. That might be my favorite overall piece we've done yet. It was really great. Well, let's get our official business out of the way. So we're discussing today, Parenthood Season 2, Episode 3, I'm Cooler Than You Think. Oh! Oh, Friday Night 
<laughs> Why? No, not really. Okay. I've just, it's been so long since we've had it. I was missing it. But there's a small link. This is the first episode of Parenthood written by Bridget Carpenter, who wrote 10 episodes of Friday Night Lights. That counts. And this episode was directed by Michael Waxman, who directed 11 episodes of Friday Night Lights, including the series finale. So we really have some Friday Night Lights people steering this ship this week. And Gabby's in this one. So there you go. Minka Kelly, we're good. Yeah. This episode originally aired on September 28th, 2010. And... On IMDb, I couldn't find a NBC synopsis. There was just some little synopsis, and it's really short. But here's here it is. Sarah makes a new friend at work who helps her impress Amber, while Julia and Joel consider adding to their family. The end. Oh, that's not much. No, there's a lot more. Adam is a bad dad in this one. No. <laughs> <laughs> and Crosby is a good dad. The opposite of what they both probably believe. <laughs> so let's start with Adam not being a great dad. I found Max's bluntness right off the bat, just kind of hilarious. Hey, you want to know what I'm doing at work today? No. (laughs) Take that, Dad. I wrote in my notes, I would not care about any of the things that Adam was trying to engage me in either. I'm like, you work at a shoe company. It's super boring. Everything you're saying (laughs) is your level, not his. Like, you're trying to connect with them, but it's all on your terms. 100% agree. This is why I don't feel he's a great dad is he wants to come in and talk to him about things that he cares about. And a 10-year-old, my my four-year-old would give me the same answer. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and he is not an autistic four-year-old. He would just say, no, I don't care, and and move on. I feel like he forces his idea of what his son should be onto him. And after 10 years, he should know better. I agree with that. I will say, just to stick up for him a little bit, <laughs> I think, of course, it would be hurtful to have your kid not even want to engage with you. That I can... I, I can certainly understand. And, you know, when he sees Sydney and Joel having a cute little discussion, I understand why he's jealous. So we make it out of wood. What kind of wood do you use? Uh, pine. Do you cut down a pine tree? No, no, the tree's already been cut down, but I take the lumber, which is made out of wood, and then I put it together, I build it, I sand it, and I stain it. Well, can I help you build? Sure. Can I have my own hammer? Mm. Yes. Yay. Yay. <laughs> he does a better job, even though he's talking about, you know, pine trees and building the desk. She asked the first question and he took it from there at, at what, what level she wanted to do. He didn't, you know, push that onto her. And he's a fantastic dad. I really like him as the stay at home dad. I think he does a great job. Uh, as we see in later in the episode, he has what is a, I have discovered is a very common struggle amongst stay-at-home parents is, you know, whether or not to continue to be a stay-at-home parent. It's sometimes hard to feel like you're accomplishing things when you do a lot of the same thing every day. Mm. Kids are amazing and they grow up and they learn things and they can do new things. And even if you're a part of that, it doesn't feel like it's your accomplishment because it's their accomplishments and you're proud of them, and you want them to do that. But I, I've talked to a lot of other stay-at-home moms who struggle to feel like, you know, one of my friends has a master's degree. And she's like, I, I didn't get a master's degree to stay home with my two little boys. And so it, it can be hard to feel like you are 
more than just a housewife or a house husband. And, and you need more of a sense of accomplishment than that. And he really struggles with that in this episode. Yeah. But he doesn't let it affect his relationship with his daughter. Yeah. One thing I loved about their scene and then Adam's reaction to it, I feel like if this were like a multi-camera sitcom, Adam would immediately have tried to engage Max again and Max would have shot him down. And instead you see Adam walk right past Max and not even try at all. And I thought that had much bigger impact than if he had tried again. It's like mm, lost cause. He's he's not going to listen to you. I really wished for just a moment that he was going to go sit down next to him and watch him play that game. And maybe, you know, maybe ask the question that he asked in the car when he was like, hey, so how, what's the strategy of that game? If he'd sat down next to him and done it in that moment. You know, that to me would have been more more redeeming behavior, I guess, than, than at the end of the night when he's on the forest, they're going to dinner once a week together now. That, that would have felt more organic. Also, it shows that then he's choosing Max over hanging out with the rest of the family instead of trying to get Max to hang out with everybody else. That's something I noticed about Joel. The whole family is together and Joel's off in another room with the person that he spends all day with just by themselves. And, you know, he's a kind of a quiet guy. And I wondered, is he so uncomfortable around this boisterous family that it's just preferable? Like, oh, please let me go off and color with Sydney. Just get away. (laughs) Just get away from all of them. As the the guy who who just got back from my in-laws for a week with the wedding and everything and and also takes care of the children, you know, sometimes they're not your family and it's Mm -hmm. great and you love them and I love spending time with them and everything, but they're not your family. And sometimes that means they have different opinions on things that are not the same opinions that your family grew up with. And it's better to just take your time away while they're discussing things that maybe you have a very strong opposite opinion on. (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, something that Caleb and I have been talking about quite a bit is how this is for both of us, our third time watching the show. And it's been like five years since the last time we watched it. And neither of us appreciated Joel there very much. The, the, first two times around. He's hilarious and he is a wonderful dad. And I feel like this go round, we're finally like noticing that. And we're saying that some of the reasons maybe we overlooked it is because he is so quiet and he does kind of keep to himself. And like, I feel like the Bravermans have no idea how funny or interesting or like strong Joel is because they're all busy with each other and Joel's off in another room. And, and so I, I think that that's so interesting. And I was much more taken with the boisterous, you know, obviously interesting characters instead of the ones that were like more nuanced. And so, I mean, at its heart, the show was about the Braverman family. And so I under, he is, he is an in-law and, and, you know, they, they, the oldest son's wife obviously gets most more screen time as far as the in-laws go. Uh, Lorelai doesn't have a significant other <laughs> really through most of the series. So he is the newest addition to the family as, as far as the in-laws go. Yeah. And, and you're that's right. He true. is there because unlike, let's say, Grey's Anatomy, they don't just ignore the fact that the characters have children and they write in someone <laughs> who actually takes care of them and is a good parent to them. Versus, oh, yeah, every so often we bring these children back in just to remind you that she does, in fact, have children, even though she never goes (laughs) home or you never see them. 
Sorry. <laughs> no, that's fair. Well, a lot of shows do that. It is kind of refreshing to see a show that is so, you know, centered, like, especially since it is called Parenthood. It's nice that most of the conflicts actually involves parenting. And, right. and yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. No, they do a better. It's like in most movies and television teachers and parents go one of two ways and they're either strict disciplinarians or they're terrible like they're they, they they ignore their kids or they just are dumb or my dad hates the berenstain bear books because the dad is <laughs> is a doofus he's he's not very bright he's very lazy he doesn't you know and so my dad fucking berenstains <laughs> right my dad hated reading those books when we yeah. were kids because the dad is lazy and it's the same thing you know with teachers and uh, parents in a lot of television and cinema they are lazy or they write the kids in a way that they're unwatched for most of the episodes of the show yeah and, and so they do a better job in this show. All of the kids are clearly being supervised or clearly being actually taken care. You know, they go into that. And I do appreciate that part of this show. There are parts oh, of it that good. I do like. So just, just to <laughs> well, clarify, I don't, I don't despise <laughs> the whole thing. My last observation of that, that scene is that Max on the landing of the stairs is quite symbolically behind bars, it looks like. You know, oh, the yeah. the slats of the banister are like caging him off from Adam. And I thought, that's not subtle <laughs> symbolism. <laughs> or right. maybe it's an accident and I was just reading into it. But No, I, I think you're right. I, I think that was absolutely done on purpose. With the, the angle that they have, it really looks like he's looking at him through a cage. Yeah. And, you know, he could have stopped at the foot of the stairs, but right. instead he comes around the pillar and then looks at him through the bars instead yeah. of so. Or maybe not a prisoner, but a zoo animal, as later he says that he wants to have him trained. So <laughs> well, again, again, it's not great. <laughs> not something you say about your 10 year old child. I think Adam often does come off as a good parent, very caring. But I agree that this episode was not a good look for him as far as like the way he talked to Gabby, as you said earlier, and then just the way he's talking to Christina. And sometimes I go back and forth because I think he wasn't supposed to come off well. Like, I think Christina is maybe the voice of the audience in that scene. I think that Gabby should be focusing more on Max's social skills. Okay, honey, that's all she does. She's doing his homework with him. Right, and while she's doing his homework with him, she's helping him maintain eye contact, you uh -huh. know, and using the right language mm -hmm. and, and asking him questions. Yeah, Where I know, but there from? doesn't seem to be much progress, and it's been months and a lot There's of money. A ton. I don't know what... I see it every single day. You're not here all is. the time to see... Are you upset? Because he blew you off the other day. Is that what that's this is about? That's not what this is about. Okay, that's not what it's about. Okay. It's not. I know your feelings All were right. hurt. All right, that's I, what this is about. It's exactly what it's about, okay? I'm his father. I would like him to be interested in me, and if not, I would like him to be trained to be. That didn't come out right. Honey, trained to be? He's not a monkey. I don't feel like she's doing the work. Okay, I understand that, but you're making this about you, and it should well, be about him. What's wrong with making it about me a little bit? I'm his father. I would like him to take an interest in me. I get it. I want to connect with him, too, okay? But it's not easy. Don't you think it kills me when I when I ask him a question and he doesn't respond or he flicks my hand away? It's hurtful. I understand that. You know okay? what? From now on, once a week, Max and I are going to have dinner together, just the two of us. Okay. I felt like the show wasn't trying to condone what 
Adam was saying, but I wondered if they were presenting a frustration that a parent might really have that they couldn't connect or bond. But you do bring up a good point that after 10 years of this, he, he should know this, but, you know, he does kind of seem surprised. Maybe he just thought by hiring Gabby, it would like fix it, which is a really problematic way to look at things. Right. So, right. And see, yeah. that to me is even worse is if he thought this tutor was going to fix his child. And if that, you know, then, then you're looking at your child in a very different way. And that's not a, a great parental move. It yeah. also raises a criticism I have of the show that I remember from my previous watches. I think we can all sympathize that Adam wants to connect with his child and that it's not easy. But TV, because it's like week in, week out, but they're making it up as they go along, I feel like they kind of back themselves into a corner because we, the viewers, have seen Adam have plenty of conversations with Max in previous episodes. It's only in this episode that Max's disinterest is so pronounced. And so I'm left wondering, is this new or is this a phase that Max is going through? Or are they just rewriting history? Or is, as I sometimes feel, is Max's progress or the severity of his challenges changing up and down all the time based on the dramatic needs of the story? Well, put. I mean, you remember in the pilot, Max is like, let's go to the baseball game. My team. That is not at all the Max that we're seeing in this episode. And then sometimes Max has tantrums and then in other episodes he handles things just fine. And it seems like it's always being adjusted. Well, although he did like he destroys a fish tank at school. I I don't know if he would still do that now. Right. He doesn't wear Um, the pirate costume. Yeah. Like he was doing things that were. Yeah. What do you call that? Like just he didn't fit in in certain ways that um, they worried about. The parents worried about. Disruptive behavior. Yes. He hasn't bitten anyone in a while. Yeah. So those were some things that happened early on. And I will say that the creator of the show, which I hadn't known before doing the podcast, but Caleb found that out. um, Jason Kadams, his son has autism. Yes. And so he had some knowledge of this. But at the same time, it's like when it is a TV show, it does become interesting. I think most shows that I've watched, even ones that I love like this one. Yeah. Sometimes characters will be altered to serve the plot, you know, to serve whatever, whatever function they need. And, and that's probably hard to avoid, but it is sometimes kind of, it nags at you, I suppose. Again, this is the problem I have with separating reality (laughs) from, because this show, it does do such a good job of, of showing some of the problems that parenting life is about and things like that. It's hard for me to separate my feelings about why is he all of a sudden not a great dad, you know? Yeah, yeah. He's been a good dad for most of the show, but yeah. Right. Well, and, you know, it's interesting that you say that one of the reasons, that's one of the reasons you're not necessarily such a fan is because we, I think maybe in our pilot episode of the the podcast, Caleb had looked up all these reasons why the show didn't connect with with everyone, you know, like the reasons why some people might not be into it. And for some people, it was hits too close to home. This is not escaping into another world. This is my world. Right. And that's yeah. yes. <laughs> Although I think I feel like what I'm hearing from you, Seth, if I can put words in your mouth a little bit, is that it's not just that it's not escapist, but when something isn't meant to be it then kind of invites greater scrutiny. It's like, okay, if you're going to present yourself as like a slice of life, then I'm going to evaluate you based on whether you seem real or not. And, you know, no one cares if Watchmen seems like real life because (laughs) it is not at all trying to be, but yeah, that's a good point. No, that's really well said. I, I, 
100% agree with that. It is, if, if you're going to present something that I am very familiar with and feels very familiar to me, then that means that I'm going to hold you to the same parenting levels that I hold the other parents of the park that I decide whether or not to let my kids play with, you know, <laughs> and, and, and things like that. And so, yeah, no, that's very well said, Caleb. Thank you. <laughs> I really enjoyed the conversation that Adam and Christina do have, mostly because it seemed to me like a great example of married people communicating. And now I'm the <laughs> only person in this discussion not married, but I loved that they clearly knew each other so well and that Christina was able to quite gently call Adam on his stuff really fast. And he's, you know, he's saying, that's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. She goes, oh, that, okay, that's not what it's about. Okay. Are you sure? And then he, he admits it. <laughs> like, she goes, All right, yeah, she goes that. yeah, that's exactly what it's about. She knew, <laughs> she knew the whole time and she knew how to get him to own it pretty quickly. Oh yeah. Melissa knows sometimes you have to lead your spouse there and not just tell them that they're wrong. <laughs> and because uh, it comes across much better if they say, Oh, Oh yeah. Versus you're wrong. And this is why you're wrong. That doesn't always get the reception that you're after. I know, uh, shockingly. Right? Yeah. Right? <laughs> or like how he makes that comment about Max being trained and then he immediately hears it, how yeah, she like, must ooh. hear it. And he goes, yeah, that sounded bad. <laughs> She's like, yeah, it did. It really did. Yeah. That's why your spouse should be a balance to you. It's important mm. to have someone who who not only enjoys the things you do, but also sees the world maybe a little different from you, so that when you are are on a roll, <laughs> and, and so you think, <laughs> they can say, but but see, there's this big hole right here that you just kind of stepped <laughs> over in your logic, and uh, the rest of your plan doesn't make sense. So, you know, I I in a previous episode I had made a comment about how I thought that. Sometimes maybe Adam and Christina were almost indistinguishable from each other, but I'm going to maybe challenge that comment that I made a little bit because I find that something kind of fun about this season so far is <laughs> we've had a few episodes where one of them is just wildly wrong and the other one has to walk them back. And this episode is obviously where Adam is wrong, but like at the first episode of the season, Christina's trying to teach Hattie to drive and she's just straight up nuts about it. Like she, she is just like, she's so scared about her daughter getting into a wreck. She can't see clearly. And she is just heightened in a way that I found uh, really hilarious. But if I were Hattie, I would find it, you know, infuriating. And Adam kind of does the same thing with her. He's like, okay, so you're, you're not, you know, he doesn't call her wrong. He does the same sort of questioning thing, and it's really kind of beautiful. I think that you've just maybe hit on, I do think they're a really good couple because of things like that. They're able to sort of help each other when they are way out there and just heightened and making something about themselves instead of the other person, and they're not able to see clearly. I, I feel like they're able to kind of help each other through those things. That's when I like them the most. Right. I do too, yeah. One of the things my wife and I like to tell each other, or I like to tell all women are crazy. I think my wife's crazy is cute. And it's really important to find someone who's crazy you think is adorable. And that makes it so much easier to both one, kind of let it go and two, be able to make them realize where their crazy has taken them. If you think Wait. it's adorable, <laughs> you don't, uh, you don't interrupt them in a mean way. But when you tell your wife this theory about how all women are crazy, how did she respond to that? Uh, well, she she agrees. 
Um, there, you what, know, are, what are all men? If we're going to say all women are crazy, what are all men? Rapists. Um, all, all, no, all men are, <laughs> are, are idiots for the most part. Is, okay. is, is you know, uh, most of the time, all, all men have, uh, let's say we say, problems seeing things that are right under their nose. And it's very important for their spouse to be able to point that out in a way that is not demeaning or derogatory, but at the same time, you know, keeps them from tripping themselves and falling on their face. (laughs) It's so interesting because I feel like I try to do the opposite of what you just did, which is I try not to make sweeping generalizations (laughs) about everyone. (laughs) Well, you know, you wanted a hetero male on this show. Well, sure, I did. There's your hetero male soundbite for the day. Soundbite, yeah. (laughs) Caleb will just pull that. (laughs) Straight white man says all women are crazy. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But... It, I mean, it's important to find someone who's crazy works for you. Yeah. Some people are in relationships with people whose crazy scares them. And that's not a great way to go. And some people are in relationships whose crazy they think is funny. And your significant other doesn't generally like being laughed at when they're in mm. one of those moods. Yeah. And so I find that those relationships don't work anymore. But if you think it's adorable, the way your wife will get mad at you and start cleaning uh, <laughs> random things... <laughs> Despite the fact that maybe you have already swept and vacuumed in the area, it really works out well because then you are right there with a hug and a kiss and just ready to love them because they are so adorable when they go crazy. All right. When you when you elaborate on what you mean by crazy, then I I think it's kind of nice. Under that definition, I am for sure crazy. Um, (laughs) uh, Sorry. Yes. I spiral. I spiral is what I do. Yeah. I wondered when Adam brought up this di- weekly dinner idea, it seemed so impulsive. And I was sitting there knowing Max at least one season's worth, wondering, Adam, can you be positive that you're going to be available at the exact same time, the exact same day every week for dinner? Because we know Max needs consistency. Yeah. And it, don't promise this if then two weeks in, you're going to go, oh, Max, I need to move our dinner to Tuesdays instead of Thursdays. And then you're going to be hurt that Max has difficulty accepting that. Right. Well, and I wondered if this was just changing the schedule and what they're used to already. You know, he he probably likes what they already do for dinner, you know, and I don't know. I, I didn't think him wanting to have like special time with Max was bad. I thought that makes sense. But yeah, it did feel like it was coming from a place of desperation instead of let's sit down with my wife and make a plan, you know, and, and maybe even sit down with Max too and make a plan. Yeah. That's what bothered me the most is that Max was not included in it at all. You know, it, it, Hey buddy, would you like to pick a restaurant once a week? Or would you like to pick a place that you and I could go and have a daddy, you know, a father, son dinner once a week and yeah. let Max again, you let them have some of the control i feel like that would have made a better connection between the two of them than we're going to dinner and they never even really showed the dinner right they just showed them on the way home yes yeah oh see and i didn't even connect that that's where they were coming from mm. <laughs> right oh no i, thought, I mean oh, yeah. they're just in the car going somewhere back in the old nissan <laughs> stop 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 it why are you singing I am singing, Max, because we're in the car together and you won't talk to me. I would love to talk to you about anything. But I ask you questions and you you won't answer me. And you know what? It hurts my feelings. So it's just I would like to know things about you and I would like you to know things about me, anything. 
It's all right, Max. Just never mind. I heard you say to Hattie that you were treasurer. Did you get treasure for being treasurer? Well, there's no treasure, but there is money involved. Right, something of value. Yeah. Well, you see, when you're in high school, there's a president, a vice president, and the treasurer is the person who's in charge of taking care of the money. Well, how much money? How much money did you take care of? Well, when our coffers were full, it was upwards of a couple thousand dollars. That's awesome. Yeah. In my head, at least, in that scenario, Adam had chosen the restaurant that they went to, and, you know, and they went somewhere <laughs> that he wanted to go with Max. And, and then listens to his classical music on the right, way home. Right, and, and then yeah. is listening to his classical, not just listening to his classical music, but then resorting to humming the classical music because he can't <laughs> handle it. Uh, you know, and, and so that, to me, was just another forcing his ideal of what the relationship with his children should be. You put that so well, and I think it really hints at why I wasn't liking that particular storyline, because I feel really strongly that we should get to know kids for who they are, instead of sort of pushing our ideas of who they should be. And, and you know, I was raised incredibly well, but, you know, I, I took, <laughs> I've said it before, but I took dance classes for seven years that I hated, because um, my mom really wanted me to be a dancer, you know, and... Now, my mom is very supportive of, you know, my actual interests, you know, like writing and, you know, and, and, you know, and, and I think that those have been some really important conversations for us to have. And, and I think that was, yeah, I, I don't know how to say it, except that is still, I think, maybe a, a slight trigger for me. Like, I don't like this idea of let's look at who these, let's, let's raise the kids we want to, them to be instead of let's raise the kids they are. I right. Guess. And, and I mean, to a degree, the mom tries to force her campaign ideas on onto her daughter and what kind of campaign she thinks she should run. And yeah. I don't know if that's an intentional. They're both trying to force the children to be who they want them <laughs> to be kind of scenario. But it's like you said, I have three children and they're very different from each other, let alone from other people's kids. And they have the same DNA for them, you know? So yeah. all kids are very, very different. And it's important to recognize that. And, and while, yes, I think it's important to force them to try new things. I think seven years <laughs> of a, a little bit long of a, a, I mean, my kids are next year have to learn an <laughs> instrument. So that's, they have to do a year of piano or violin, but after that year, if they do not enjoy it, I will not force them to continue. <laughs> I think that sounds really good. Very reasonable. In defense of Adam a little bit, yeah, you know, yeah. as he says, communication and socializing is a pretty basic building block. You know, it's not like he's still forcing Max to be a baseball player because he That's loves true. baseball. Right. You know, he says, Max, talk to me about anything. Explain to me the rules of your game. Anything at all. So I, I think it's a little extreme to say he's, I, I mean, I think your point is still totally valid, but it also feels like something that's super easy for me to say as someone who doesn't have a child who won't talk to them. No. It, it feels like such a primal thing that he's after, which is just some connection with his son. 
But I think also, Seth, you still make a good point that it's, isn't this something he's been grappling with for a long time? Not that that makes it easy, but it shouldn't be unfamiliar to him. But anyway, I just, I felt like Adam's pain was valid. And I like that when Christina was kind of putting it in his place, she said, I feel it too. Do you think it doesn't hurt my feelings? But as she points out, but it needs to be about him. He's not here to make us feel good. We're here to make sure he knows he's loved and taken care of. Now that you said that, you know what the difference to me is? The tone. Very good point. She is hurt by it when he pushes her hand away and things like that. He is angered by it. He's indignant. Right. And that just, it really comes across and, and it, you know, if that's what they really wanted to do, he does a great job of acting that, of, of delivering the lines in a way, you know, that it's, it's a much more, it's not as simple a question as when she's asking Max things. He's demanding an answer. Yeah. You know, she's asking a question. He's demanding an answer. I mean, I wouldn't have thought of that, Caleb, until you brought up your point. Because some of the phrases he uses are not in and of themselves hurtful or, or wrong. It's the way he delivers them. You know, I got to say that this all makes sense because the moment when I kind of stopped being mad at Adam in this episode was at the very end in the car after he was humming. I didn't care for that either. But when when Max is like, why are you humming? Why are you doing this? And he I felt like it was like his most honest moment with his son yet. You know, he was like, because I'm hurt. I want to talk to you and you won't talk to me. And I thought, well, maybe that's maybe that's unfair, but it was so honest. And I felt like it was probably good for him to just tell him how he's feeling. And and I could see another argument being made that maybe that was like manipulative, or maybe it was like, like putting a burden on his son. I, I could see somebody saying that, but I liked it because I thought, well, you're being honest with him finally. And you're not just kind of almost testing him, which is what a lot of the episode felt like. Like, I'm going to ask you something and you better give me the right answer. You better, you know, like, 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 hoops almost in the end I thought yeah just tell him you're hurt I don't know that might help him because I feel like that's the sort of thing Gabby explains to him and he kind of, he gets it you know he's brilliant he's really smart and so I think he understands that you've hurt someone's feelings and I think that's why he asks his dad the question and you know some people might say that's unrealistic that at the end he asks about the treasurer and the treasure but I'm like no I think it's because Adam wasn't just arbitrarily being like do you want to see my shoes do you want to you know he was (laughs) he was explaining how badly he wanted to connect with them and I think maybe he got that Uh, 100% he definitely really shows how he's feeling. I feel like that conversation would have happened four years earlier with the child, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Although I kind of agree with you, Melissa. I liked, I liked how direct Adam was. And in a way it felt like he was sort of modeling communication for Max. Cause you know, a big theme of the show has been that Adam struggles to meet Max where he is rather Mm -hmm. than insisting Max meet Adam where Adam is. (laughs) And, um, you know, whenever you're learning a new skill, I would assume this would be the same for a child learning how to socialize with other people. It's not just about meeting someone where they are. It's about almost meeting them where they are and then asking them to meet you, like making having them make a tiny, tiny, tiny adjustment. And then you keep moving the line and eventually they're meeting you where you are. Right. This doesn't make any sense anymore, does it? But, no. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. He, he, he wants go, to go, go incrementally. Right. Yeah. He wants to go seventy thirty and have him come that thirty percent, and then he'll go yeah. sixty forty. And and I get it. And yeah. so it felt like Adam, even if Max couldn't return the conversation, he was going to tell him what he was thinking and feeling. 
in a way to be like, look, see, here's how it's done. I'm just going to tell you what's on my mind. Mm. Although when you mentioned tone earlier, because I, Melissa, I had the exact same reaction when he said it hurts my feelings. Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, this is the most sympathy I've had for you. But when Seth, you were talking about tone, even when Adam says his feelings are hurt, he kind of shouts it at Yeah, he says, it hurts my feelings, you (laughs) know. It hurts my feelings. Okay, can you turn the temperature down on that a little bit? And then I'll even feel more on your side. There's a little hurled at his son. And that's why I feel like he's still holding on to a lot of anger that his son is not a normal child, you know, or is not what his expectations for his son were going to be. You know, yeah. and in the first season, like you said, it was about wanting him to play little league and and play yeah. catch and and that kind of stuff. But it, it's still, he's not accepting his son for who he is, and that is creating this anger. I mean, even if I my kids are very bright and have no problems communicating, but if I come at them with a tone that is angry, they shut down. You know, and and don't want to communicate with you. And so I feel like that is a lot of his problem is the way that he says the things he's trying to say to his son. And you just now saying he's creating this problem makes me realize that the problem between Adam and Max is Adam's reaction. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not that Max has nothing to work on, but that's precisely what he is working on. That problem is being addressed. The real problem of this episode is... Adam, get over yourself. <laughs> yeah, he's he's being um, impatient in ways that you know, like we've said, are, are different from what we've seen before. We've we've seen him be patient with Max, and maybe you're just, you know, maybe if it isn't an inconsistency in the show, I'm I'm trying to find a way that this could be intentional or or just how life is sometimes. Because I feel like we all are at different places at different times. Sometimes we regress a bit, you know. Sometimes we're having a particularly bad time at work. And so we sort of take it out on the people we love most when we come home or, you know, we some, sometimes, you know, maybe Adam usually has more patience, but he's just for whatever reason, feeling really frustrated in his life and he's channeling it in the wrong place. You know, I, I wonder if that's what's going on. The title of this episode is I'm cooler than you think I am. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and I thought it was about Lorelai, but it, it may actually be about Adam's problems is that he thinks he's a really cool dad and Max does not think that he is a cool dad who needs to be interacted with because of the, you know, because of what we've talked about. And so maybe the title is out more than one of the Braverman siblings. And I just now realized it. Yeah, I, I totally maybe, agree. I agree too. <laughs> and I think that takes us to our next, the next thing I want to discuss which is really just a pivot, but it's Christina trying to convince Hattie that she's cooler than Hattie thinks she is and that she has something to offer her on her campaign. The first, the first question I want to raise is about student government. <laughs> has a student government anywhere ever had any ill or positive impacts based on who's in it? <laughs> I just, I, what is the significance of being, okay, so you're student body president. 
Has there ever been a good or bad student body president? These people yes. are completely irrelevant, aren't they? Okay, I'll no. defer to the high school teacher. Well, I used to be the studio sponsor, and it really mattered who was in charge uh, because if of all they the were, power they wielded, I oh uh, well, like just on a real selfish personal level, if we had terrible people in charge, uh, I shouldn't say terrible. Let's um, no irresponsible people in charge. Then suddenly it was not student government; it was Ms. Johnson government, and I was planning everything because we still have to have coronation. We still have to, like, like all the townspeople of Pittsburgh would have been furious if we didn't have homecoming look the way that it's supposed to look and how it's looked since they went to high school 50 years ago. And so um, that, that may be, you know, me going off on a tangent, but I will say as a teacher, you definitely want to have responsible people in charge planning every event that you have all year long. Well, then shouldn't the teachers vote? On it? Yes, because I thought I guess so. my point. I guess my point <laughs> is, would there ever have been a scenario in which the student government was so bad that homecoming just didn't happen? And then all the students go, oh, I guess I really shouldn't have voted for the person I voted for. No, like, because whoever no, the teacher is, is in charge is yeah, going to just make up for it. It's just going to happen anyway. So why is there even student? Go- I just I think the whole thing is kind of silly. <laughs> it, it's it's one of those things like FHA and all this other stuff. It's a thing to get students in that keeps them doing something. It's all about keeping kids busy. And student government <laughs> is supposed to give them idea of how things are run. But unfortunately, as, as we know, coming from Southeast Kansas, things are not run like they teach them they're run in student government. And uh, then they get unrealistic expectations. I wasn't going to say it's important to have responsible. I was going to say it's important to have creative or active people. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, and I didn't really honestly pay much attention to who was in student government when I was in school. But as a, as a teacher, I did notice. And, you know, Caleb, you probably weren't talking about like coronation. You were talking about like what impact can this have on the world? I will say the years that I had like the or most. Or even impact on the school. It just well, that seems uh, so irrelevant to me. But the years that I had the most like compassionate you know, go-getters. I've never said go-getters before. Why did I say that? But anyway, the most compassionate and hardworking students in charge, they would do things like paint and redecorate the custodian's um, workspace. That was kind of amazing. Um, They once had like a big Thanksgiving meal that they prepared for, again, the custodian staff. Like it was kind of incredible. And that didn't happen every year. That depended on who was in student government. Well, that's nice. Well, here's a, Melissa liked this clip. Hey, everybody, I'd like to make an announcement. Um, commercial. That wasn't nice. <laughs> I, I laughed so hard at that. I loved that. Those might be my favorite moments in all of the show are those little throwaway moments that like, like her announcing this is so grand and ridiculous. But then when Zeke's like, oh, good, it's a commercial. And she just that wasn't <laughs> nice. And I'm like, did anyone notice that who's actually in the room with them? Or is that only for the audience? You know, just a little treat for us. But her delivery is perfect. I, I love her. Like she is someone who if I knew her in real life, she might drive me crazy, but on the show, I think she's fantastic. Like She's just. <laughs> now, here's a really small thing that I fixated on yeah. when Christina pops her head into Hattie's room to see if she found the book, which BT dubs is the lost art of the great speech, how to write one, how to deliver it by Richard Dowis. I tried to find something interesting about that book. All I could find is that it is a very highly regarded book on speech writing. Is it like the Bible? Is it? Is it? 
<laughs> Doesn't she say it's like the Bible? It seemed like one of many books that a lot of like sites recommended, but I couldn't find anything about it specifically where like someone said, this is the best. Everyone agrees. I read it for debate. Oh, Seth's read it. I mean, it is, it is what you think it is. It is, <laughs> you should have a strong opening statement and make sure that you do not change subjects in the middle of a, you know, and, and it, it, it's about being clear and concise and focused and just giving a uh, good Well, clearly speech. I haven't read it because this began as me talking about Christina's laundry comment and then I veered to the book. <laughs> book. But, so yeah, I was going to say, isn't it, I, I found it just shocking that she said clean underwear in the top drawer. Hattie is in high school and her mother puts away her laundry for her. I mean, not even just Braverman family, not even just does her laundry, but puts (laughs) it away. And this is something where maybe I just don't understand how other families work because like when I was in high school, all of the bedrooms were upstairs and because my mom's MS, she couldn't go upstairs. So of course she wasn't going to be putting any of the kids laundry away. That was just unthinkable. But by the time I was in high school, I was doing my own laundry too. Yeah. I wasn't doing my own laundry, but it was it was a basket of clothes that was at the foot of the stairs for me to take up to my room. You Thank know, you. It that was, seems normal to me. Yeah, my mother was still doing the laundry when we were, and my seven year old now, I put them on her bed, but there's folded piles of clothes on her bed for her to put in her drawers. Good. I think that's a skill that they can manage. Right. I mean, she's not tall enough to hang up the hanging stuff. So I do hang Fair. up the hanging stuff, but you know, don't expect her to get a ladder. <laughs> get out the step stool. Do it right. yourself. Yeah. I tried with the four-year-old and then it just gets thrown into the drawers and it becomes a problem. <laughs> so we're still working on it. You meet them where they are. Right. You know, I think on parenthood, laundry might be a love language. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think that maybe that's just what Christina does and what Camille does for Crosby. And I feel like this is a show where people really want to give and they want to be noticed and important. And I think sometimes they rely on doing things for people for that to happen. Actions absolutely matter. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not just it, using the right words is, is important as well, but actions absolutely matter. So I get that. But I'm with Caleb on this. It's weird, <laughs> especially putting away her underwear. And I, I don't know, like uh, as the guy who does the laundry, when my daughter is a teenager, I will not be putting away her underwear. And I feel like she will appreciate that. Right. <laughs> you know, I don't think. My daughter wants that to happen, so we'll, Boundaries. we'll go with that. Yes, no, I agree with Caleb. That is a, a <laughs> weird segue. I mean, it was it's an excuse for her to come into the room, obviously, as far as the, the script goes and everything like that. But no, it's for a high schooler. That's a little weird. Well, yeah, I mean, I do like, okay, so big theme of this episode is the idea of like, Joel taking, okay, I don't mean to change the subject, but at some point later, I want to talk about what Joel brings up about having like another kid. And I bring this up because in an earlier episode, Christina had said she couldn't go back to work because, you know, she's raising kids. And I'm like, well, that's interesting because both of your kids are in school. And I think it's totally fine if you can afford it to still stay home and, and take care of house things, of course. But it sounded like she really wanted to go back to work and maybe it's because of Max and his situation. But I'm like, do you think maybe that's part of why she's putting away Hattie's laundry, even though Hattie certainly could, you know, just because she, she has nothing else to do. Almost. I mean, like 
I don't know. Like, and I don't mean it like that, but I mean, like, she just wants to feel important. Yes. Yes. I think I'm fascinated by the dynamic um, that Christina has with her kids because she specifically cites them as her reason not to take a job that she really, really wanted to take. And it seems like Hattie would really love for her mom to have more going on in her life. You know, like Hattie would probably be like, please go have a job. Max might be the main reason she stays home. And and I think that might, that might make sense, but it just makes me wonder when there are like seemingly unimportant lines, like laundry's, you know, your underwear's in the top drawer. It makes me think, wow, I wonder if she is just like throwing herself into this in, in ways that are, you know, like not even necessarily, um, that she necessary (laughs) but melissa Melissa, i think you raise an interesting point that that hattie would probably like it if her mom (laughs) had some other outlet hattie certainly doesn't seem to appreciate christina's efforts hey honey did you read the book yet no not yet okay that's fine when you're ready to read it let me know because i've I've highlighted some things for you yes okay i I know all the book by heart oh i bet you do hey let's watch the tone I do. Okay. Thank you. Addie, you know what? Your mother is a great resource for you, okay? Yeah. Yeah, I've heard it. She's trying to help. Well, you know, it hasn't been super helpful. It's been a little controlling. Well, let's just try not to be rude, okay? I just heard what you said. I'm not trying to be rude. And I didn't like it. You don't like anything that I say. This is exactly... Actually, that's not true. Well, this is what I mean. Okay, why don't you listen to me for a second? Okay, Because this is why I didn't want to tell you about the campaign, because I knew you were going to go overboard and act crazy. I'm not crazy. I'm not acting crazy. I didn't say you're... I don't mean that you're actually crazy. Honey, Adam, I'm just... Yeah, you're not trying to help me. You don't listen to anything that I say. Hattie, cool your jets, okay? You're trying to make the campaign your campaign. I'm trying to give you some campaign strategies that I've worked on. I know. I care about your campaign strategies. Obviously not. I want to do it on my own, okay? Fine. Do it on your own. See how far you get. Don't stop crying. I'm not crying. <clears throat> Something to You know, is she gonna get a consequence? Because she was she was really, really yelling. And I, I really think that deserves a consequence. I, I have to say that that whole scene right there makes me realize that she does not think her daughter can be elected. Fine, oh. do it on your own. <gasps> See how you do is the yeah. line that she utters oh. is she has no faith. It's not just about her you know, wanting to be the campaign manager and, and, and everything. Wow. She has zero faith that Hattie can win this election. Oh, because she even has that line when she asks who else is running, and I don't remember the girl's name, but she was like, oh, no, she's running. Michaela. It'll be fine. Michaela, yeah, Michaela. right. And, she thinks and Michaela's going to win. So, no, her mother wow, really... I hadn't picked up on that at all, but I think you're... The breadcrumbs all lead to one place. <laughs> yeah, no, really. And I didn't, until we were listening to, you know, because when you're listening to it, you're really paying attention to what's being yeah. said. And so playing it back, she really, a couple of those lines make it, you realize that she doesn't think her daughter has a chance without her. Wow. And, you know, it's funny. I wasn't even focused on that, but I, I love that you made that point. I was focused on how 
just funny their dynamic is, but also sad. Like if, if I were Hattie, I would be so frustrated. But listening to it as an audience member, I, I found it hugely entertaining. But, you know, some people might think that Hattie was being rude. And maybe if I'd only seen this episode, I would think she was being rude. But in the context of the whole show, I got it. I'm like, Hattie is usually so incredibly patient with her parents. She's she's often kind of treated younger than she is. She's not really allowed to make her own mistakes and be, her, you know, go out and try things. She is really controlled by her parents. And I, I just, I got it. I'm like, she is frustrated. And, and I, I would be so mad at Christina, except man, Monica Potter is funny. Like it shouldn't be that funny for her to be like, I'm not crying. There's something in my, that is like such a cliched line, but her delivery of it is the best anyway. And see, I found it, I got it, and I found it incredibly rude. Yeah. The, the thing that struck me, when Hattie did that, okay, that <laughs> hit me like a ton of bricks. And maybe this is dumb, but I think it's because this show is mostly from the perspective of the parents. and It, it humanizes them as people unto themselves. And, you know, when you're a kid, you think of your parents as not, people unto themselves. They are just these figures in your life. They're the the parents. Their lives began when they had you. Yeah. And and <laughs> I'm sure that I have been that casually rude to my parents before. And it never occurred to me just how hurtful that was. Hmm. And uh and I watched that scene and I suddenly felt like I'm so sorry to my parents <laughs> for all the times that I'm sure or and because the way she did it it was kind of joking too and it's like I'm sure that's how I did it I'm sure I couched it in some kind of joke that I thought I was just being funny but actually I was being really dismissive mm. and disrespectful and I was I, like I was Christina like, oh, back off leave her alone she okay <laughs> oh man I thought it was warranted I don't know. I 100% agree. I got it. Hattie was right on. I thought that's how I would have reacted Uh, (laughs) as a high schooler. I probably would have now as her as the mother is who I am. Um, (laughs) I I probably would have been hurt by it as well a little bit. But I just feel like she's coming from a different place with it. I feel like she feels that her daughter, it's not just that she needs her help, but that she can't win without her help. And I, I hope I would feel like she needs my help, but if she doesn't want my help, she can still do it herself. I hope that I will have that much confidence in my daughter. Also with this scene, I thought something that you touched on earlier, Seth, when you said you're the parent, you're not your kid's friend. At the moment when Hattie said, okay, Adam's response was to like convince her of what a great resource Christina was. And I felt like from the outside observing it, that was the wrong strategy. You don't try and convince her what a great resource Christina is. You say, you don't talk to your mother like that. Go to your room. That would have been my immediate. It's it's not about convincing her how great Christina is. That is irrelevant once you start speaking to your parent that way or shouting to your parent, stop crying. Unacceptable. You that cannot treat your parent like that. I agree. That's true. I was distracted by how funny it was, but it you're was right. really That's, funny. <laughs> you're and right. I, I did love, I did love how Adam came to Christina's defense before she even did when he said like, let's watch the tone. Good. As yeah. a teenager, I probably wouldn't have sent her to her room, but definitely called her out. Called her out on the tone. We don't talk to your mother like that. Yeah. Oh. 
And then I was also struck, this is where this storyline ends. There is no resolution to the running wow. for student government. You're so right. we never you never hear whether she wins? I mean, I forget what happens in future episodes, but I don't remember. Well, and we're spoiler free, and that would be an incredibly important spoiler. Okay. But I mean, in this episode, that's, there's that's no what everyone like, wants to know. Yeah, in this episode, there's no like, I'm sorry I spoke to you that way, or I'm yeah, sorry I was so controlling. Right. No, or even a, a montage of her working on it by herself, you know, right, like yeah. putting posters or something. They just have this big <laughs> dust up and then nothing. Setting down the glitter and using the green instead of the red. <laughs> just, like, I'm doing it my way. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go to another sibling who's trying to convince their child that they're cooler than they think. Sarah and Amber. I had two hair observations right off the bat. I love Amber's kind of reddish hair that seems new in this episode. And in the very first scene, Sarah's hair for like the first time this season finally has a little body to it. (laughs) And then the rest of the episode, it is flat, flat, flat. Anyway, (laughs) and another little fun fact that I learned when Sarah meets Mike, forklift Mike, she says she says something like, oh, go forklift something. And I looked it up. It turns out that forklift can be used as a verb. Who knew? I didn't. (laughs) Um, I'm just going to rank the love interests real quick that Sarah has had so far. Obviously, Mark Sear, number one. Okay, then I guess Forklift Mike, if he counts as a love interest based on this one episode, then way, way farther down on those rungs, perhaps a tie between Gordon and Jim. (laughs) But I just, I'm throwing that out there in case anyone's curious where I stand. I have to put Forklift Mike on top because he goes on to play uh, Detective Douche on Lucifer. Um, and, and I'm a huge fan of Tom Ellis, Lucifer on Netflix. And, and he, he's the butt of a lot of jokes and he's the guy who doesn't know that he's actually the devil. And he plays it so good. He's Uh such a great job. (laughs) I mean, really is fantastic in the role. And so, yes. I made a note that actor is Kevin Alejandro. I think he might be the first Latinx representation on this show. I, I think you're right. That's cool. That's He's Mexican-American. Cool. I love it. Well, I liked him. I looked him up on IMDb and noticed a bunch of other things, but I really hadn't watched much else. Well, Sarah is deeply insecure in this episode, which is not foreign territory to us. My daughter has this new friend who is very wealthy and very um, cultured, and um, I've just sort of lost her to this cool family and parents have taken them to places I I can't compete (laughs) but um, I just miss her and I thought I'd try to do something fun like take them to some cool band they'd never heard of it's so pathetic I wondered from that scene have either of you ever felt financially insecure around other people when Mark and I first bought a house in Pittsburgh We bought a house that was too big, (laughs) but we hadn't decided yet if we were having kids or not. And so we thought we were, we would grow into this house and then we decided not to have kids. And then this house was kind of (laughs) dumb for just two people. But um, it was interesting. We went to book clubs. We were in a book club with a lot of teacher friends of mine and almost all of them were older than Mark and I were by at least 10 years, some by 30 years. And we would alternate whose house we would meet in. And for a while, I got pretty caught up in the fact that like our house was not as nice or as fur- like 
it wasn't as well furnished and we didn't have money for certain things. And this may sound so silly, but when we moved to Lawrence and got a really like small house where we live now that fits us perfectly, it was the biggest relief because I, I just, it was like just giving up all that shit. I, I don't know why I was so focused on trying to keep up, but for a while I kind of bought in and, and really, yeah, that's the best example I can think of for me. I have one uncle who is incredibly wealthy and he takes all of my, the Tomasi side of the family. So 87 Tomasi's on vacations that we could never afford to go. He flies us all. He flew us all to Hawaii, he flew us all to Maine, he flew me, things like that. And he is very cool, very down to earth. You would not realize how much money he had, <laughs> but he took us to this place called Megas Lodge, which is a rich portions resort on a lake in Maine um, the cabin that my, just my little family of five was staying in is a hundred thousand dollars a week. Oh and <laughs> yeah, and it's where rich people to go to get drunk and have fun. And they have a camp where you can send your children all day. So if you don't want to take care of your children, there are people who are paid to take care of your children all day. And my kids wanted to go sometimes because it was a really cool camp. They took them swimming. They did all kinds of things and it was wonderful. But I picked them up out the end of the day and did dinner. And, and, and one time when I was picking them up, the woman in front of me turns to her husband and said, we have to pick the kids up because they're tired of the babysitter putting them to bed. They want you to put them to bed tonight. Oh, wow. <laughs> and he was going on a helicopter ride and did not want to put them to bed. So it was not that I was financially insecure, but it was like, I realized that there are people in this world who grew up in a very different world than the three of us grew up in. And, and things that are normal to me are not necessarily normal to everyone. And, yeah. you know, it was the requirement was that you dress for dinner. I have a suit. That is what I have. I have a suit and it's a nice suit, but it's the only one I have. So I wore it every night to dinner. <laughs> and everyone else is there in different suits and dresses and and the one outfit probably cost more than my car and wow. you know <laughs> and, and so it was just going to some of these places makes you realize that there are multiple standards in our world in our country and you know it's good to be the king yeah <laughs> well I went to NYU for college which is very expensive school and I borrowed a ton of money every year for four years to go there. And there were a lot of people there who did not borrow know, like, money. Like, like you said, <laughs> you wouldn't guess how rich they were because they are nice people. And they, you know, I, that makes it sound like I have some cartoon <laughs> idea in my head of what rich people are like, but I think that I do. And <laughs> I, that's not good that I have that. But I think it's why I didn't realize for such a long time that, oh, I am the poorest person here, aren't I? Like a lot of these people I know and have no trouble relating to at all and we get along and have fun, they are wealthy. And then even just New York City, broadly speaking, I sometimes wonder, you know, how are my friends affording the apartments that they're in? Or like with this big shutdown in the pandemic, how are people staying in their homes? And I think the answer for a lot of them is they just 
have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. That's why. And I'm like, oh, I don't know what that's like. <laughs> I never know what that's like. Yeah. Anyway, it, I thought it was interesting when she actually just admitted to that, that it wasn't just that she didn't feel cool around her daughter. It was that I can't compete with these really rich friends that she has. And not just rich, but like she, she uses the word cultured, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because as and we've she, said, that house that her parent, where she lives with her parents, you probably in Berkeley would have to be extravagantly rich oh my God. to afford yeah. a house like that. <laughs> right. But again, it's her. Yeah, you're totally right. But it's her parents' house. And she is, I guess now she's not tending bar. Now she is, you know, but she's an, an intern, intern and it's a job that her brother got her. And you know what? I think she is still tending bar. I think they made a comment about how she has to do both. And I don't think there's anything wrong with any of those things, living at home if you're struggling, et cetera, et cetera. But of course, I think that's something that she would feel insecure about. She probably doesn't feel like a real grown up the way that Kelsey's parents seem like real, you know, cultured adults. I had a problem with the way she conflated or connected cultured and wealthy. Oh, because yeah. like, we are far from wealthy. You know, we're, we're a one income family. <laughs> we do not make a lot of money. And my kids eat greek food and indian food and we go to there's an afro there's a a south african place that we like to go to and we go to the nelson and when there's traveling stuff i take and and so i i i guess i kind of took offense to the fact that she equates that you have to be wealthy in order to be cultured that's true that's a really good point you don't have to be yeah it's because yes the the things she's talking about like the trips and stuff get that I understand mm-hmm. you can't afford to take your, your kids on vacations and things like that. I get where that's coming from, but especially where they live. Mm-hmm. I mean, culture is not an issue or, or something that <laughs> requires her to even, they should, they're not in Southeast Kansas. <laughs> that's true. Well, I should also mention, this is the first appearance of Zasha Mamet as Kelsey. She's now probably best known as Shoshana on the HBO Girls. show Girls, and her father is playwright David Mamet. Also fun fact, I think, <laughs> Kate Jennings Grant, who plays Kelsey's mom, Jennifer, was Sarah Brown in the revival of Guys and Dolls opposite Lauren Graham. On oh, that is interesting. I, wonder I if... saw that production. You did? Was it good? Yeah. Uh, not great. <laughs> but I did think the the band was awesome. They had a great band and they were all up on this bandstand at the back of the stage. So you could see them. They sounded amazing. And I've since played with a lot of people who were in that band. Oh, man. And I always tell them, God, that band was good. <laughs> I love that. Melissa, I liked hearing your rankings of the love interests because <laughs> I noted that I like Mike way more than Gordon for damn sure. For sure. But I still don't like him all that much. And maybe it's just that I don't want her to date anyone from work. But I think the real issue is I'm just way more interested in her relationship with her kids than with new people. Mm. I mean, I liked Mark, but I kind of feel like unless it's going to be that satisfying, I just kind of feel uninterested. I don't care who she dates. And like in this episode, her reaction to Amber saying thank you for taking her to the club was 10 times more thrilling to me than Mike holding her hand. Morning. Hey. All right. I'm just tired. Oh. It was worth it, though. Oh, yeah? That was fun. 
I think she falls into the single mother trope a lot on this show. True. Uh, I, I feel like that's what a lot of her storylines involve are the, these are the things a single mother has to go through. It's hard to date. It's hard, you know, she was a young mother, so she doesn't have the education to find the job. And I, I just feel like I don't care for her character. She's, she's not really a great mom. She cycles through men, but that's also the writing. You know, it's not necessarily her, but I seem to remember one or two seasons where she has like a new man in an episode. Again, I don't think parents should be their kids' friends. You are the parent. And she, especially in this one, really crosses that line trying to be the cool mom. I I was torn, I think, because it doesn't sound great being like, I'm looking up bands. I totally understand wanting to bond with your kid and wanting to find something fun that you can do with them and... Maybe it's not even so terrible to want to kind of impress your kid and and their friend, but I don't know. Yeah, at a certain point, it did become, you know, it's like they're they're dressing up to go out on the town together, and I don't know. I guess I didn't really even think about it until, Seth, you said the thing about, you know, you should be the parent and not the friend, and now that I'm thinking about it, it does kind of seem like she's trying to be like, see, I'm just as cool, and and maybe she shouldn't worry about that so much because Amber loves her mom. You know, she said at the end of last season, I'm really glad you're my mom. And it's not because she thinks she's so cool. You know, what she respects about her mom is that she loves her and cares about her and is funny and interesting. I mean, I think those things are still true. I think the reason Amber keeps thinking her mom is like embarrassing in this episode is because she's trying so hard. And so that's, that's interesting. It's like having the opposite effect for the most part. To me, it's worse because she's doing it for the wrong reason. Like if she, if she was, like you said, just wanting to impress her daughter and, and that's what she was wanting to do in and of itself, that wouldn't be as bad to me, but it's not. She's wanting to be cooler than the other mom is what she's wanting to be because she's afraid that this, that her daughter thinks this other couple are better parents or funner parents or cooler parents than she is. And she's striving to compete with them. It's coming from a place of, I feel inferior and not from a place of, I love my child and want her to respect and think I'm the coolest thing ever. What do you think, Caleb? I kind of just didn't care. I, <laughs> I, I, that storyline was the least interesting to me. I do think, I mean, I think you're right that she was kind of competing with the other mom, but I also think there was a little bit of a more honorable facet to it, which was, I think she didn't want Amber to be avoiding hanging out at their place. You know, she said lots of times, you can come over here. And I think it started to feel like, oh, are you avoiding me? Because you think I'm terrible? Like, I want you to come over here. And if the only way I can do that is get tickets to this fancy thing, then I'll I'll do that. But Hmm. Yeah. And it, it didn't seem purely to impress. It just seemed like, well, I have to impress. If I, Although I guess that's competition. So you're right. I mean, here's the thing. She lives with her grandparents. The, the teenage daughter is in a house with her mother and brother and grandparents. Yeah. And so Lorelai, to me, doesn't is, is trying to be the cool mom. And, and yes, she wants them to spend time over at their house. But to me taking them to the underground music show on a school night where they're standing outside with, you know, if, if you're going to a club that has a bouncer, even in New York city, 
you don't bring under 18 people usually to a place like that. That's a good point. That did not occur to me at all. That is <laughs> that is an older drinking, you know, <laughs> hipster yeah. kind of crowd. So again, that's where I feel like she's crossed that line of being her parent to wanting to be the cool, more of a cool older sister. Mm. And And as Melissa brought up, her daughter doesn't respect that. At least that's the vibe you kind of get in this episode is she's like, hey, this is not you. Back off and be my mom. We're not best friends. That's not our relationship. I love I love this read on it, too, because normally I think that Amber and Sarah have this beautiful dynamic that I really love. And I think, yeah, I think maybe because I similar to Hattie being a little ruder in this episode than usual. I thought Amber was, too. Like she was just very dismissive of Sarah. And, you know, that makes sense to me because sometimes people will have a dynamic where if someone is rude, then the other person gets more insecure and then that annoys the person and then they become, you know, like I, I just, I got why Sarah was feeling really insecure, but I think I hadn't really stopped to question why Amber wasn't being herself. Like, why is she being so, you know, dismissive of her mom? And I think that's exactly it. Yeah. She, she wants her mom to just be herself and stop trying to impress so much. But also Amber was like a super adult in this episode. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but in the very first scene, she's like drinking her coffee and she just wants calm. She goes up to her room because her mom is stressing her out. And then even at the very end of the episode, when she comes down. Oh my God, you look really great. Rude kid. Rude kid. And I'm like, how old are you supposed to be? I love that line. (laughs) It was pretty funny. But it was funny for like this 17 year old to be just like (laughs) this total adult drinking her caffeine at night to stay awake. And there's maybe a role reversal is what I'm thinking. Like, you know, Sarah is acting like the teenager trying to fit in. And Amber was, yeah, yeah. Kind of being like the responsible one, the sure one, the one who was sure of herself. Well, if if we're good, let's move on to Joel and Julia. Yes. Favorite storyline in the episode for me. Oh, really? Yeah, I thought um, it was a fascinating dynamic. And I often see both people's sides. I I like to think I do anyway, especially on this show, because I think the fights are often really well written. But I thought Joel was 100% right in this episode. And I just couldn't get why Julia was so boggled by what was bothering him. You know, she, she, I feel like maybe the fact that she's a lawyer and so smart, like I felt she she was almost like gaslighting him a little bit. I don't think she meant to. I wrote here in my notes, I don't think Julia is playing dumb or trying to be lawyery, but it bothered me that she didn't understand that she and Joel should decide together about a baby. You know, he's like, let's discuss it first. And she jumps to, so you don't want to have a baby with me? How am I not supposed to take that personally? I'm just saying exactly what you said. And I'm like, no, none of that is what he said. He wants to have a conversation with his wife before you go telling everybody that it's a done deal, that you're trying for a second kid. I specifically asked you not to talk to anybody about this without discussing it first. Do you not want to have another baby? Uh, that's not the point, Julia. Your brother congratulated me on something that was between us. Can you understand? It really put me in a corner. Wait, it... It's going to put you in a corner. This is putting you in a corner to have a baby no, with me? No, that's not. I need you. Don't turn this around. I'm this not is turning not about it around. That. That's I what you said. I'm, I'm trying you to understand. To keep this between us. Yeah, and you also said that it sounded great, so I thought that we had it worked out, and I No, you I'm know just... what? You worked it out for you. If we have another baby, Julia, it's, it's, it's my day-to-day life that's most affected here. 
You got nine months, you got maternity leave, and then what? You, you go back to work in a job and a world you love full of adults, and I'm the one locked into diapers and, and daycare and, and all of the laundry and frickin' preschool politics. Okay, you, well, said, you, you said if? Yes, if. If? if what, what does that mean? Do you want to postpone? Are you listening to anything I'm, I'm listening saying? I'm listening to what this you're saying, that, and you Julia. said about... if. So does that mean God, that you want to postpone or you don't want to have... I don't know I don't know. She just like steamrolled him. She just said, let's have one. And she considered that the conversation. And I think that's like this larger issue about their relationship. I don't think she listens to him. Okay. I maybe got too far ahead, but that's, that's just how I felt. I was 100% with Joel on the, we were going to have a discussion on that. Why did you tell your brother? Because now mm -hmm. I have to have this awkward conversation with your brother before you and I have had a conversation about this. In a relationship, it's important that you're not each other's everything. And you need to have other friends. And I get that. And it's important that you can talk to other people about things. But there are subjects that are incredibly personal and between a husband and a wife. And... Until those conversations are finished, you can't go outside of that. I feel like she really crossed the line by bringing that up with her brother before they had a conversation. I agree. And I also agree, Melissa, it really bothered me when she said, I'm just saying what you said. He said, your brother talking to me about something that I thought we still had to discuss put me in a corner. And she said, having a baby with me is putting you in a corner. That's not the same thing. And no. I, I feel like she knows that too. I feel like she was like not being a good faith arguer. <laughs> and then in their fight, she seemed fixated on getting an answer mm -hmm. to the fundamental question of whether they were going to have another baby or not, rather than hearing what he was actually saying about how he was feeling. She just keeps coming back to, so do we want to have another baby or not? So you don't want to have another baby with me while he's saying, I don't like that you told your brother. <laughs> These are different topics. And yeah. she seemed uninterested in the topic he wanted to discuss. And yeah, I also wondered, like, what did she think discussing it meant when she agreed to do that earlier? Brainstorming names, you know? <laughs> no, you're totally right. But, you know, the very first time she brings this up, I think, was the season two premiere. And she also didn't notice that when she brought it up, he was not thrilled. And I just feel like she's missing a lot of signs. And it reminds me, it's so silly, but in season one, early, early, the swimming pool episode, when he gets mad at her because she just shows up, kind of shows off, <laughs> dives into the pool, takes over the swimming lesson. And he's like, I'm over here doing all the hard work all the time. You can't just show up you know, kind of make all the decisions and then leave. I'm the one who is actually having to do all this work. And I felt like, yeah, she even, even the conversation she and Adam had about it felt a little icky to me because, you know, they, they were both like, you know, it's hard when you have a job and having another baby, but Christine is great. Joel's great. This is kind of like, they're like, but we got people at home to take care of that. So we're good, you know? And I thought, well, that seems insensitive. Like Joel should be really a part of this conversation. You don't just get to decide to have a baby. He's right. He's the one who's going to do most of the work. And maybe he was looking forward to going back to work. So I have to say that was one of the most realistic parts of the show to me, mm -hmm. because this sort of thing happens in relationships like mine and like Joel's and where there's a parent that stays at home. You know, when you get married, 
you kind of have a contract with your spouse and you take some things and they take some things. And those are the things that you're pretty much stuck with for the rest of your marriage, because that's what you've agreed is this is what I'm good at. And this is what you're good at. And so that's how we're going to balance this thing that we call, you know, a relationship. And when the kids get added into that, that the kids are my thing. And so I'm the one, but that doesn't mean that Sarah doesn't have a plan in her head of Mm -hmm. what future things look like and i both of them have both of the characters have plans in their heads of what the future of the family looks like and so they're only thinking about what they have to do to get there Mm -hmm. and not thinking about what those decisions mean for day-to-day life well i find it a little unbelievable that julia especially wouldn't have had a number of children in mind before she got married Or has she changed her mind? This is another one of those conversations I believe that couples should have before they get married. How many (laughs) children do you want to have? Yeah, to me that seems pretty fundamental. Yes, no, that's um, one of the people we went to high school with did not have that conversation with his wife before they got married. Now it's oh, causing right. a problem in their Oh, wait, maybe I'm thinking of someone else. Who was it? And his wife did not have the discussion. And she oh, wow. was, oh, I'm on the fence until the day after they got married. And then it was, oh, no, I've never wanted children. That was never a thing. Whoa. Oh, that's intense. So, you know, now four or five years later, that's starting to cause a problem for a guy who maybe is deciding that he wants children. That's a, that's huge. You can't compromise on having a kid. And that's why it's a conversation that I feel should have happened before you got married and and having more than, I mean, not necessarily a specific number, but you should have a discussion about whether you want more than one child, you know? And so that to me was, yes, I agree, Caleb, something that they should have known before. I feel like this could be easily solved with like one line or something. Like, I think it'd be really interesting if they had always decided that they were going to have more than one kid, but because of Julia's job and just how stressful that was, it got backburnered, it got backburnered. And then maybe in the back of Joel's mind, he's like, okay, too much time has gone by. Clearly the plan has changed. We don't want that anymore because I always thought I'd go back to work once the kids were raised. And with a six year gap, you can't expect me to just stay home forever And so I wonder if there's something going on there, you know, where like maybe they had a plan, but life got in the way. And, you know, I just feel like there's got to be some reason. I don't know. You raise an issue that I wanted to discuss. There's a common conflict resolution arc that I'm starting to notice on Parenthood, and it's exemplified by Julia and Joel in this episode. And it's that there is a small conflict or disagreement or issue between people And then they communicate their feelings about it poorly. And then it becomes a much bigger conflict or disagreement or issue. And then they sit with it a while. And then they communicate more effectively or rationally about it. And then it's resolved. (laughs) That's true. And like, I suppose to a degree that is most conflicts. So maybe it's not unrealistic, but it it is beginning to feel like a bit of a trope on this show. Like the resolution of this storyline is Joel telling her basically what he's been saying the whole episode, but just doing it more calmly and her actually hearing him. And then everything's fine. And it's like, oh, if you could all just get there (laughs) first and skip the step where you blow up about it, then you could all save yourselves a lot of trouble. And then it would be 
horrible television. I think this type of story <laughs> arc, like you're talking about, is, I don't know if it's a necessary evil, but it's commonly used in shows like this, you know, where there's mm-hmm. an overarching story that is the grand story of the season. Not everything is working towards that story, yeah. the overall. And so you have to have these little bumps in the road or these little fights or these in order to keep you invested. I've seen it on This Is Us. Uh, they used to do it on Gilmore Girls. It's kind of a one-off. It doesn't ever really get brought up again later on in the series. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that, Caleb, you're so right about it being part of that trope, I guess. But usually the final conversation that the characters have when they're finally communicating, I I usually find it very uh, effective and powerful. But this time... For some reason, I was a little unsatisfied because I wanted Joel and Julia to really have a conversation about whether to have a second kid. Because instead, he was just like, there's got to be room for me, which must mean he doesn't feel like there's room for him right now. Maybe you should unpack that before you bring another kid into the world. You know, like if he even has to bring that up, he must have these feelings of being like taken for granted. And let's have that out. Let's actually explore that before you just say all right, here's my one statement of warning, which might not mean much of anything because you're currently taking me for granted. Yeah, okay, I'll just give you what you want. I want it too. And I thought, does he want it? He didn't seem excited about it. Is he just wanting the fight to be over? Or, you know, I just, I found that last discussion much less satisfying than I was hoping because in my head I'd remembered, I don't know, I guess I I just didn't remember that it was like that. I just thought that they were going to really, really get into it. Like not a fight, but a conversation. I don't think there was any resolution. I think it's like you said, I feel the end of the movie or the end of the episode felt like he was giving in. Okay. This is what you want. I'm going to do that. No, it didn't feel like she ever saw things from his side. Yeah. It wasn't like he said, so you're okay with me going back to work. Right. And us putting the kids in daycare. Once you go back to maternity leave and we just hire someone. Right. Since we're both wealthy (laughs) they had the fight and then that then they made up yeah that was the end of it but it felt like a false sort of makeup yeah it just it yeah it didn't feel like they actually talked anything out you're right she she, he he just gave in and i'm worried about that i don't know i don't think that's a good sign and i i really do think she takes them for granted and it's something that i can't stop noticing now that i've kind of noticed it and it really bothers me Speaking of makeup, I liked that in that scene where Julia had just woken up, she didn't wake up in full makeup. Yeah. I mean, she still looked fantastic. And I, yeah. I'm guessing she probably did have some makeup on, but she definitely looked less made up than if it were like the middle of the day. Right. I feel like that's not always the case on TV. <laughs> you know, something I wrote down is that I love that they went to bed angry. You know, like she wanted to talk to him when he was still working on the desk outside and. Oh, I loved that scene by the way, because I just, in a show that leaves so little unarticulated, everyone's Uh constantly talking about everything. The only words that were spoken in that whole scene were. Beautiful. Thanks. And yet there was so much else going on. Oh yeah. And I love that. Please continue. No, no. I'm glad you, you said the words exactly. Cause I, I didn't quite remember what they said, but I love that. Maybe that is a small concession on her part. I think she's the sort of person who wants to resolve things right away. She opened the door, clearly wanting to talk, but she could tell from his response, which was pretty curt, 
that he wasn't ready to talk. And so she let him be. And I think, okay, maybe that's something, you know, and, and then they, they made up in the morning, which I think is often a great idea to make up in the morning when you're like rested and, you know, and maybe things don't seem so bad. And I also thought it was kind of a good scene or a good sign that when she woke up and saw him staring at her, she was like creepy. And he laughed. I was like, okay, so even though you're like mad at each other, you're still knowing how to make each other laugh. And, and, you know, I, I did like all that. I will say that. I agree with the, uh, you know, she actually read the room or read him as it were, and that it wasn't time for her to push her agenda. I, I'm still bothered the way, by the way, they made up without actually discussing it. Me too. The whole argument was yeah. because you hadn't had this discussion, and now you still haven't had the discussion, but you're just giving in despite the fact that you had this big argument over her talking about it before the discussion. Like you said, there's no resolution. They don't, I mean, there's resolution in that he gives in but they don't deal with the problem or the reason they were fighting in the first place. Yeah. It feels like then the the original discussion of whether or not to have a kid got upended by this discussion of whether or not she should have told Adam. And that became the focus instead of the real reason they were going to talk. <laughs> so. Joel's like, okay, I'm over you telling Adam. So now that's fine. That's the reason you're okay. I'm not angry with you for telling your brother anymore. So let's have a baby. Yeah, it should be. I'm not angry at you anymore. So now we can have a discussion. <laughs> and yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sidebar, I could watch Joel build that desk all day long. Oh my God, Caleb. I'm I'm going to quote what my notes were about that. When the I wrote, drill goes through. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote, I wondered if Caleb really enjoyed the montage of Joel building the desk. And you did. Caleb I you did. <laughs> I also wondered, is Joel on a non-Apple laptop? <laughs> That's not a sponsor. <laughs> I didn't see the I didn't see the Apple on there, so. I'd be like anyway. driving a non-Nissan in this. <laughs> Unthinkable. Unthinkable. Unfortunately, we have gone longer than I anticipated. And I'm having Us too. I'm screams sorry. from upstairs. I apologize. <laughs> okay. But no, uh, no. I'm well, probably going to have to call it a day at this point. Uh, real quick. Uh, again, Dak Shepard, best character he's ever played. He, to me, is the best parent through most of the series. Loves his child and wants to be a part of his life, even though he didn't know he existed for a while. You know, and, and now he's dealing with a grandma who doesn't really want him to be a part of his life. And he... Not just stands up for himself, but does it respectfully. There's a lot of people who I feel like in that situation would get angry with the grandmother for acting the way that she does. And that is not the way to win points. No. When, when you're trying to be a part of this boy's life, he, I felt like he really did a great job. I mean, he shows up, which is the most important thing. And he's there for his kid. You know, we really wanted you on because this is the episode where the Bravermans reveal their four-tenths Jewish. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> is that what it is? I thought for sure it was the single dad thing, or the, the stay-at-home dad thing. Yes, oh. the uh, four-tenths Jewish. I, you'd be surprised how many, how often you hear that. Oh, really? Um, yes, I take it. But in my head, when people tell me that, have you guys ever seen Blazing Saddles? Uh-huh. All, all, yeah. all, I, all I can hear in my head is, when he goes over and goes, truth be told, my grandmother was Dutch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. I hope that I didn't put anybody off with my uh, not really caring (laughs) for the show, but... uh... 
you were willing to talk about it. I think that's all that really matters. You didn't just say, this is stupid for right. every point, right. you know? Yeah. yeah. Discerning perspective. Yes. All right. <laughs> it was great Bye. to see you. Good to see you. Bye. 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 Well, Seth, domestic dad that he is, had to run because we went on for a little too long. But we had a little more to discuss about Crosby and Renee. So we're going to finish that up, just the two of us. First of all, behavior like Renee's in the beginning, Mm -hmm. where she doesn't even let Crosby finish watching the game, that really bugs me. It just strikes me as irrational. If the game is going to be over in 30 seconds, what is the point of dismissing Crosby other than to just establish total authority over him? I just think be reasonable. I wrote down... Is it rude that Renee makes Crosby leave or because it's her house, is she just being firm and, you know, she likes to have things a certain way and it's time for her to go to bed? I was I was really trying to see her side, but I I really thought she was being unreasonable. I was trying so hard because I was like, well, you know, I'm not always good at boundaries. Sometimes I want a little alone time or I want people to go and I sometimes will end up in situations that I don't really want to be in, you know, talking for an extra hour or something because I don't want to be rude. And so I was trying to admire what Renee was doing. But ultimately, I thought, no, if it's going to be over by the time he gets in the car, just let him finish. I don't. See Although I should say, as you as you raised there, I do think she has the right mm-hmm. to do what she did. I just thought it was a little unreasonable. Yeah. On the flip side, I thought it was presumptuous of Crosby later in the episode to think he could just show up and have Jabbar for the whole day. You got to plan ahead. <laughs> that's that's true. Oh, it's Sunday. I'll have him back before bedtime. What? No, <laughs> you have to have a little bit of a discussion beforehand. That's true. I didn't even Renee think had that. already made plans. Mm-hmm. Maybe she wouldn't have if she knew that Jabbar's dad wanted to take him to a game. I doubt that. Something tells me if he had wanted to take like, even if they had talked about it ahead of time. I mean, I, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I think she would have been like, it's Sunday, <laughs> we go to church. Because um, that was kind of the way she delivered that. I loved that he went with them. I loved that I loved that Jabbar invited him. And I loved that he took him up on it. Oh, my gosh. And I love that later when he has his big speech to Renee, that he even says, I'm glad I went to your church. Your church rocks. I don't know. But I thought, yeah. I, I got the sense he was being totally sincere there. Like, I don't actually think that Crosby hardly ever says anything that isn't sincere. But I I thought that was really beautiful that, you know, we keep talking about meeting people where they are. And I felt like he did a good job of asserting himself in that scene and and kind of meeting Renee where where she is. And yeah, it's funny. I think in lots of ways, I feel like Crosby is one of the best communicators on the show. I'm going to play that speech to Renee, but I just want to point out for our listeners, listen to speech. He is clear and direct and honest and Almost the whole time, he's very respectful. And he starts out using a lot of I messages. Mm -hmm. I feel this. I feel that. It's none of you do this and you do that. And I don't feel like he crosses any kind of line until right at the end. Um, Renee, can I say something? I feel like when I come over here, I'm auditioning for you. But the thing is, I already got the gig. I'm actually his dad. And I think you can see how much I love him and how much I'm here and involved, uh, you know, especially with Jasmine gone. So I-, I don't know why you're giving me the cold shoulder. Cosby, I can see that you are a lot of fun, fun, charming, happy-go-lucky. My husband was too. He loved a good time. 
but he didn't stick around past Jasmine's fourth birthday, so you'll forgive me if I don't applaud when you want to take Jabbar to a baseball game. Oh, wait, hold on. You, you know, you, you love your church, and your church rocks. I'm, I'm glad I got to go, but... My family, we went to the baseball game every Sunday. We went as a whole group, and we sat in the bleachers, and we cheered together, and my dad narrated the whole thing, and it was, you know, special. It was our ritual. So baseball is your church. Is that what you're trying to tell me? Yeah. <laughs> that's ridiculous. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. It, that's not ridiculous, okay? And I want my son, Javar, to have the same experience with all the other people in the camaraderie, so... I disagree. And another thing, it's not fair of you to hold some grudge against me for some crap your husband did years ago. I'm, I'm here for my son, okay? And I'm not going anywhere. You're gonna have to deal with that. The last line's not an I message. <laughs> no. Well, You're gonna have to deal with that. <laughs> I, and I, I think he was absolutely right to um, point out how unfair it is for her to compare Crosby to her ex-husband. Like, they're not the same person. And it's just apples and oranges. It's not fair. But I, yeah, it was maybe a little disrespectful to say, like, some crap your husband did. <laughs> like, but, but, you know, at that point, I think he was probably getting a little worked up. He had yeah. really done a very good job of, you know, being respectful. And he was holding a lot back. I think it kind of exploded a bit. Uh, which, and I say a bit. I, I really mean a bit. I don't think he was that... Uh, you know, disrespectful. I, I think that maybe just went a tinge more than he would have wanted, but yeah, he didn't, it didn't feel judgmental to her at all. I thought the first judgmental statement in the discussion was her saying, that's ridiculous. Mm. Like, okay. That is not someone trying to reach <laughs> a resolution. And then I like that. Even then he said, I disagree. Yeah. You know, yeah. he still maintained his cool. Well, it probably depends on if you're a religious person or not. And full disclosure, you know, I'm not. So I thought that's ridiculous seemed like a rude comment and judgmental. But, you know, if you are really devout, it might seem disrespectful to say baseball was, you know, my church, even though that's not actually what he said. Right. She said it. And then he's like, OK, yeah, <laughs> you know, which is probably a little better than just being like. In terms of the community and yes. the fellowship fellowship yeah i will say though good for renee for making an effort because later in the episode when you see her sitting down to watch the game with them good that's i think that's how everyone would hope that that would end you know crosby went to church he made an effort and she watched the game win-win yeah you know and as unsatisfying as i found the end of the joel julia storyline i found that very satisfying and so it doesn't have to always be this long drawn out thing i love that they yeah we're just watching the game together and that she was actually invested it wasn't just her sitting there yeah. placating them she was like okay we're you know like we're yeah. ahead we're she was making this. a good faith effort yeah and and I continue to just be pretty blown away by, I think that actress is so good because we discussed last episode, like, are we supposed to like her? And I'm not sure, but man, the actress is so good at this part. Yeah. Like I totally believe her character, even when I, I think if in a lesser actress's hands, I might be like, would someone really say that? Would somebody really do that? And I think she just delivers it so well that I really find it very believable. Yeah, even yeah. even when it seems like something a person wouldn't do, like kick someone out when there's 30 seconds left. But she, I don't know. She's good. I think that I'm not sure if I'm supposed to like her feels especially 
dead on for an in-law. Yeah. Cause it's totally like right. whether he likes her or not is completely irrelevant. Mm-hmm. She is part of this deal. Yeah. She is Jasmine's mother. She is Jabbar's grandmother. You cannot remove her from the equation. That's going to be a losing battle. So you're going to have to get along with her. Yeah. And I think Crosby does that really well. And I think the conflict that arises is totally believable. And I think how he addresses it is great. And I think how she addresses his addressing it (laughs) is great. Yeah. Eventually. Eventually. (laughs) Well, and, you know, it may not be fair. Well, it isn't. It isn't fair that she compares Crosby to her husband. But I sort of like that she does because it does feel so human. Like, that's something people do all the time. And she may not have even really been aware she was doing it until Crosby initiated this conversation. I wonder if she was almost surprised at what she was saying. You know, like she probably never planned to say any of this to Crosby. She was just going to think it about him quietly. And then once she says it, maybe maybe it releases it a bit or makes her realize, oh, that really isn't fair. You know, sometimes things make sense in our heads and then we say them out loud and we're like, oh, that just sounded silly. Kind of like Adam saying, I want to train him. Okay, wait. Yeah. (laughs) It's funny. I actually wrote down, I think it's kind of big of Renee to admit that her bias stems from her own marriage. Yeah. Yeah. And then I wrote, but I also agree with Crosby that it's unfair of her to hold that against him. But (laughs) you raise a good point that maybe she hadn't quite admitted it to herself until she admitted it to him. It also makes me wonder when she says, you're a lot of fun, happy-go-lucky, so was my husband. I wonder what she thinks about Jasmine going off to take a job. Yeah. We haven't gotten really any opinion from her. You know, Crosby says, you're going to go to Europe for six weeks. Get your facts straight. It's four. (laughs) He's like, what parenting manual does that come out of? While I think he is more wrong than right in that scene, it's a valid question, I think. And we haven't heard Renee's opinion on it. I wonder if she's like, well, it's my daughter, so I support her. Or is she like, oh, there goes Jasmine gallivanting off to do what's fun for her and ditching her son just like my husband did? I wouldn't be surprised if it's the latter, um, because remember how upset she was with Jasmine when at the birthday party episode? Yeah. She was pretty harsh with her. So I, I get the feeling that maybe she, you know, is harsher with Crosby because who is this guy? He's basically a stranger new to my life. I, I'm just meeting him. But I I think she does have these high expectations probably for everyone. You know, I I get the feeling that maybe Jasmine has felt that scrutiny before, too, just based on some of the things she said and done. And their dynamic is really, it's obviously not as explored as other mother-daughters on the show, but really it's kind of just as fascinating. Like she, you know, Jasmine often seems infuriated by Renee, but she almost always does what her mom wants. Yeah, it certainly feels like there's a lot of respect there. Yeah. Even if maybe there's not always a lot of agreement. Yeah, I would say that's true. Yeah. But yeah, I I hadn't thought about it until now, but I I would be really interested to see them together. Mm -hmm. Jasmine and Renee. Yeah. What's what's going on down there? (laughs) Yes. Call back. (laughs) Well, I've already mentioned this, but four of the storylines felt like obvious examples of I'm cooler than you think. (laughs) Adam with Max, Sarah with Amber, Christina with Hattie, and then Crosby with Renee. Mm. I felt like he was trying to say like, you know, I'm auditioning for you. Mm. I'm trying. Or when he agrees to go to church, he says, didn't see that coming, did you? (laughs) I loved that. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it was trying to get people to reconsider their preconceived notions about them. 
And in that sense, I think Joel's storyline applied as well. He wasn't trying to get Julia to see him as cooler than he actually is, but he was trying to get her to see him differently. Mm -hmm. Overall, I liked the episode. You know, you said Joel and Julia's story was your favorite. I think Crosby's was mine, but I think it's just because I'm really enjoying watching his evolution. Mm-hmm. it's just fun to watch someone become a better person. Yeah. And it feels really significant, but I also really liked Joel and Julia's, their little nascent storyline about this family expanding. It feels intriguing and promising. Adam and Christina felt kind of like business as usual, but I like their business. Yeah. I was thoroughly entertained, especially by the Christina Hattie stuff. I got to admit though, in the first three episodes of, of season two, I'm pretty uninterested in what Sarah is up to. It's just hard for me to root for her to have success at a shoe company. It's hard for me to root for her with Gordon or Mike. I continue to like her as a character, but so far she's bottom of my list in Braverman's I'm interested in season two. Yeah, I I really want her to have the kind of evolution that Crosby's had, I guess. You know, like... I understand why she is insecure, and I think that's a really realistic flavor. I don't. So that's a realistic um, way to. That's a realistic flavor. I'll just say it. <laughs> and I like seeing someone struggle because it's so relatable, and and I do root for her. I guess ultimately, though, I would like her to rise above it or or work some of this out and it just seems like she's kind of stuck there feeling badly about herself and this job doesn't seem to be helping and having a win with her daughter I I wonder to what degree that will help you know and it it makes me sad I I will say when she was talking to forklift Mike I should just call him Mike (laughs) but forklift Mike is fun um I wrote down and I didn't mean this in a judgmental way I was just genuinely curious I wrote can Sarah talk to a man without flirting And I don't mean that in a like, God, she's so flirty. I I don't mean it the way Adam means it, you know? Kelsey even said it was kind of flirty. Yeah, yeah. And I just wondered, is that her like go-to, you know, she she doesn't really feel like she's good at much, but she is really pretty and she is really um, funny and charming. And I wonder if that she just kind of relies on that to get her through some things and, and, you know, not that she's meaning to flirt with Gordon or with Mike. Like, I'm not sure to what degree she's interested in either of them, you know, right now. But I think she is really good at connecting with people. And if you are a pretty insecure person and you find something you're really good at, maybe you just continue doing that, you know, and and getting kind of attention. So not a judgment call, just something I found interesting today because I was like rewatching it and I'm like, wow, he just sits down right away and she's kind of at the same table. She had the pudding with Gordon. So I think that's what really made me notice it. I'm like, she's just almost inviting anyone who talks to her to to think that this might be tinged with the possibility of romance. I did think, wow, TNS is just dripping with fine honeys for her to <laughs> partake in. Gosh. <laughs> well, I think that'll do it for this episode. You could like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter or Instagram. We're Parenthood Pals everywhere. Including (laughs) ParenthoodPals.com. Nice. (laughs) Well, um, thanks to Seth, who was a great guest, and it was lovely to catch up with him and talk parenting. And thanks to you, Caleb. (laughs) 
And thanks to you, dear listeners. Yay. That sounded like a serial killer. <laughs> Not to me, it didn't. It just sounded like Like you. a serial killer who hosts a podcast. The movie would be called Dead Air. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Copyright Parenthood Pals 2020. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, until next time, may God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true.